Hi, friends. I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're dead, dead drunk. drunk. It's now officially the season of The Witch. While we here at Dead Drunk are very pro-witch, historically, witches have not been a well-liked people. Witches were considered evil, and in addition to being hunted in the 1600s, they were used as the reasoning for murder by Michael Bear Carson and Susan Bear Carson, otherwise known as the San Francisco Witch Killers. I love witchy things. I'm so Me excited. Me too. I'm so, so excited, drunkies. This is only the first witch-related thing that I have planned for you this month. <laughs> 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 Thanks for your excitement. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> anytime, anytime. All right. Should we? We do have a little bit of business to talk about. We do. This month, we are doing a fundraiser to benefit Nicole Adamando's appeal process. We're just hoping to raise some money to help her in this appeal and potentially win. Her case is local to Poughkeepsie, so you might not know about it, but it's pretty important to us. She was a victim of domestic violence and should have been sentenced for murdering her abusive boyfriend under the new Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act, which would have given her a more lenient sentence, but instead the judge decided not to sentence her under that. And now she's appealing her sentence of 19 years to potentially get less time and maybe be able to spend some of her children's childhood with them and not have to trade one prison for another prison. So... Snaps. To try and help her in that, in the spirit of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we're hosting a fundraiser. It'll be on Instagram Live, October 24th, 4 p.m. We're going to be sharing some scary stories that we've found or had sent to us throughout the month. Some of the best of the best we're saving for the fundraiser and Halloween. But the Saturday before Halloween is the fundraiser. Keep that in mind. So (laughs) we're going to be sharing some scary stories with you. Katie will be joining us to bring you some delectably purple drinks, as purple (laughs) is the color for the cause. And yeah, we hope that you guys join us. For every donation that you give, you'll be entered into a raffle to win some pretty cool stuff of ours and maybe some other stuff. Hi, guys. It's Editing Tierney from the future. Yes, some other people are helping us with this fundraiser. So first, we have my friend Finelli. Her Instagram is underscore Limoncello, and she does custom drawings, and you could win a one-to-two-person custom drawing from her. Go check her out. She's so, so talented. And the second company that is helping us is called The Drifting Souls. We've paired with them before for some sponsorships on here, so you've definitely heard about them. They have really, really cool stuff, and they are helping us by donating a t-shirt or sweatshirt of the winner's choice as well as a tumbler or mug of the winner's choice. They have such cool stuff on their website. So yeah, please join us. It's for a great cause, but also you can win some really, really cool stuff. October 24th, 4 p.m. on Instagram Live at Dead Drunk Crime. All right, back to past us. 
This week's drink comes to us from Wine Enthusiast and the Anvil Bar and Refuge in Houston, Texas. What you're going to do is combine one and a half ounces Campari, one ounce orange juice, one ounce Flor de Cana. Yeah. Four year old extra dry white rum or whatever white rum you have. Half an ounce lime juice, half an ounce orgeat syrup. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what that is. <laughs> we're already mispronouncing things and we're not even <laughs> past the drink. I love it. <laughs> one dash Angus, the bitters, one dash of bitters. I can never <laughs> say that one. One dash of bitters. Put it all into a cocktail shaker with ice. Shake it up. Then strain all of that into a cocktail glass of your choosing and garnish with an orange slice and a sprig of mint. And that's how you make the witchy woman. Woohoo! I want to go to this uh, bar because that sounds awesome. Yeah, me too. So, now that we've got your spooky cocktail, are you ready for the case? Drink up the drunkies! As a child, Jen Carson believed that she had two loving parents. Her mother, Lynn, was a hard worker who supported the family of three, while her father, James Carson, took on the role of a stay-at-home dad while selling pot on the side to make some extra money. You know, as you do. Love that journey for him, <laughs> as one would. According to Jen, he was a loving, attentive father to her, and everything seemed to be working out well for the Carson family. Over time, however, James began to change. He became more antisocial and began having angry outbursts more frequently. Unable to deal with both a young child, James's increasingly unstable behavior, and his unwillingness to get a job, Lynn filed for divorce in 1977. Honestly, girl, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I totally understand that divorce. That's when James met Susan Barnes. It didn't really take him long to rebound. Susan Barnes was a perfectly normal suburban housewife living in 1960s Scottsdale, Arizona. Ooh, a rich bitch. <laughs> well, he was. Her husband was really rich. You were on the money. Meaning that she could live out the typical spoiled housewife fantasy without any worries. So even with all of that awesome time on her hands and all of the money provided to her, Susan wasn't happy. She wanted more. According to an article from the Medium, quote, she began taking LSD, mescaline, and peyote while she was hanging out with her son's high school classmates. She also regularly seduced and slept with them. According to the rumor mill, she slept with 150 young men and boys. When she turned 35, she began to have delusions and hallucinations, or as she called them, visions, even when she wasn't on drugs. This was actually nothing new since she, when she was a child, she believed she was psychic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the drugs definitely helped push her off her rocker, but she was leaning out of that thing anyway. So <laughs> inevitably, all of the cheating and the drug use destroyed her marriage. So Susan decided to use this as an opportunity to reinvent herself. She started spelling her name with a Z instead of a second S. And oh, my God. <laughs> I knew that that would kill you because it's just like. I'm not Susan anymore. Now I'm, I'm Susan. Susan. <laughs> she also started listening to those visions of hers. Of course. 
Porsche. And now the visions were telling Susan or Zuzan or Zazu or whatever to <laughs> Susan <laughs> to find a soulmate, companion, and loyal follower. And that's what she saw in James. Follower, like a cult leader would find a follower? Okay. Yeah. James and Susan met at a party in 1978, and it was an instant connection. The first thing she said to him... As it always is. <laughs> is it ever not an instant connection? It's always an instant connection. It's not like, oh, like, you know, she kind of liked him at first. No, it's like instantly they were in love, and two weeks later they were married. I don't know the time frame, but yeah. But wait until you hear the first thing that she said to him, <laughs> which was... Your name is Michael. That's what she said to him. And according to the medium, (laughs) according to the medium, he said, no, my name is James. To which she responded, no, you are Michael, an angel of God. And from then on, James went by Michael. He just freaking, no. (laughs) Your name is Michael. Uh, It is now. Okay. It just, it struck me as like when you're really drunk in a bar and you can't remember somebody who you just met's name. So you're just like, mm, Michael, <laughs> are yeah, you honestly, Michael? That's a good guess. Like Michael's a good, like a common enough name. It was a good guess. Su- Susan. Su- Susan. <laughs> in her essay for the Huffington Post, Jen wrote that after that night, her father became a completely different person. In addition to his name, he changed his entire personality and lifestyle. Jen wrote, quote, He was no longer the attentive and caring stay-at-home father that I remembered. My father had braided my hair and read me books. Michael Bear would barely look at me. Whenever I think of fathers braiding their daughter's hair, I just think of Israel Keys, and then I cringe. Did he braid his daughter's hair? Oh, my God, yeah. And then he fucking braided Samantha Koenig's hair like he braided his daughter's hair that picture wow i did myself a favor and just blocked that piece of information <laughs> from my brain that's cool yeah that's cr- i got that's the how creeps. they knew something was wrong in that in that picture of her when she was already dead it wasn't the fact that her eye eyeballs were sewn open or whatever it was the fact that she never braided her hair Ooh. and they're like something's up that's a good little tidbit that's a really, really, really specific piece of information to pinpoint, too, in a photo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he knew how to braid his hair because he would braid his daughter's hair. <clears throat> Didn't he at one point have long hair? Couldn't he have just learned to braid his own hair? I mean, he d- yeah, I guess, but, that's you know, he, I think yeah, he it's, said it's that worse. he Yeah, it's worse because of the daughter. Hair. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, sorry to give you the heebie-jeebies. We're back. <laughs> it's okay. Do you guys have the heebie-jeebies? Do we even need a spooky shooter this week? I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Israel Keys knew how to braid hair. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, just tell them that story. <laughs> Despite this change in his personality, Jen, who was now about three or four years old, loved her father and still wanted to spend time with him. So she would have to go over to Susan's. Jem would stay over on the weekends, and Susan's home was barely decorated to, like, a creepy extent. Uh, uh-huh. It was mostly filled with potted plants, and the only piece of furniture was the waterbed in the bedroom. 
Jen had to sleep in a sleeping bag on the floor and scavenge for food in the morning when neither Michael nor Susan would wake up from a long, acid-filled night. Eventually, she worked up the courage to tell her mother about her weekends with her father. Jen wrote in her essay, quote, I told her Susan scratched my back hard, very hard, with her jagged fingernails when I asked my father to rub my back before bed. I told her that Susan had called me a demon and said that I needed to die. My mother then lifted my shirt and gasped. She saw five bloody scratches down my back. She promised me I would never see Susan again. So Susan, in addition to being pretty cuckoo banana pants, is abusive to a toddler. Pretty clearly the relationship is toxic. But for Michael and Susan, it seemed perfect. James, who was now Michael, had been searching for something to believe in, and Susan, now with a Z, was looking for disciples. After they were married, the couple traveled to Israel, India, France, and the UK. During this time, Susan and her drug and psychosis-induced visions developed a new religion for the two of them. And once they returned to the U.S., the couple moved to the Hyatt-Ashbury neighborhood of San Francisco and started using the new surname, Bear. So technically, their legal surname is still Carson, but I'm calling them the Bears. And now that they were back in the country, Jen's mother became understandably concerned for their safety. The man that she used to know was gone, and Michael Bear Carson was dangerous, unstable, and under the influence of drugs and an even crazier woman. So Lynn started to worry that he would harm her and try to abduct their daughter. So she took Jen and went into hiding. They moved several times and cut ties with any mutual friends to make sure he couldn't find them. Under Susan's new religion, the couple deemed themselves, quote, vegetarian Muslim warriors. That's how it's spelled. M-O-S-L-E-M. Muslim warriors. This religion came with dangerous beliefs, like the idea that insulting a woman is the same as assault and deserving of death. Another one of the couple's beliefs was that witches were surrounding them and using their powers to kill them, as they do. They began believing that it was their duty to rid the world of this evil by killing all the witches. Because we all knew that the fate of the world was going to end up in the hands of two drug-addled crazy people. Interestingly, the belief system is a kind of shared madness known as folie à deux. It's French, I don't know. Or shared psychotic disorder. That's the English word. I'm going to use that. According to the medium, this, quote, is a rare delusional disorder shared by two or sometimes more people with unusually close emotional ties. The delusions are usually induced in the passive partner, in this case, Michael, by the active one, Susan. So it's kind of like Michael's psychosis is entirely being fed by Susan. Susan is just making him crazy. Now, they were sane enough to realize that no religion flourishes with just two loyal followers. So they took their radical beliefs to the streets of San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. In the 1980s, the Hyatt-Ashbury neighborhood was still a major countercultural center full of music, hippies, drugs, and parties. It was at one of these parties that the Bears met Karen Barnes. While many people saw the Bears as repulsive for their weird and oftentimes hostile behavior... The open-minded Barnes found them fascinating. Now, I did notice pretty quickly while I was looking into this that Karen Barnes's last name is the same as Susan's previous last name, but there is no relation. It's just kind of a weird coincidence. 
Barnes, an aspiring actress, invited them to come and live with her, and the party just continued. As roommates now, the Bears and the 23-year-old Barnes began drinking and doing drugs almost nonstop. At some point during all this partying, Susan began to see their new roommate as a witch. It's possible that her psychosis mixed with all of the drug use made her truly believe that Karen had dangerous psychic powers. But it's also possible that Susan felt threatened by the younger woman. Regardless of the motivation, this meant, in Susan's mind, that she had to be eliminated. So while Karen was sleeping on the kitchen floor one night in March 1981, the bears attacked, beating the young woman with an iron skillet and stabbing her 13 times. Then the couple wrapped her body in a blanket and dumped her in the basement where the police would later find her. They also found really weird religious symbols all over the walls with only one word, Susan. Because it's important to put your name on your artwork, people. Anyway, the name Susan written on the wall, plus the fact that Karen had been living with the bears and many people knew this, led the police to immediately focus their investigation on Michael and Susan. Unfortunately... They were clever enough to get out of town. They were long gone by this point. The bears fled to a mountain hideout near Grants Pass, Oregon. They stayed in an abandoned cabin until spring in 1982 when a park ranger kicked them out. Then they moved to Alder Point, California, where a good Samaritan allowed the couple to stay in his treehouse, which sounds really cool. Before long, the bears' aggressive behavior became too much for the owner to deal with, and he kicked them out. But this didn't really sit well with Susan, and so she had to take revenge. In this particular case, though, the Bears robbed his house of any valuables, including a handgun, and then lit the house on fire before heading back to California. Once there, the Bears found jobs as caretakers on a marijuana plantation in Humboldt County. While working there, they became known as anarchists who genuinely believed that a nuclear apocalypse was bound to happen any day. When Clark Stevens, a friend of the owner, began working with them, it wasn't long before the three started butting heads, because I'm sure that they butted heads with everybody on the plantation. But one day, they argued with Clark Stevens, and things got a little bit too heated. Stevens said something that offended Susan, and for that offense, she ordered Michael to kill him. So, at Susan's request, in May of 1982, Michael shot and killed Stevens and then attempted to cover it up by burning the body and then burying it under some chicken litter in the woods. The remains weren't discovered until two weeks later when Stevens was reported missing, but again, the bears were the prime suspect. But again, they had fled. This time, though, they left behind a lot of their belongings, including a manifesto they had written, which called for the assassination of President Ronald Reagan, among other things, I'm sure. The police knew they had their killers, but where were they? Well, the bears were now on the run again, and in January 1983, they were hitchhiking near Bakersfield, California, when John Hellier saw them and picked them up. Pretty much as soon as the couple got in the truck, they began arguing with Hellier. Then, according to the medium, Hillier's leg grazed Susan's and his fate was sealed. That was it. They struggled for a little before Hellier was able to pull the truck over and get out of his truck. The bears followed him out onto the side of the highway where the fight escalated outside the vehicle. Susan stabbed Hellier while he and Michael struggled over a gun. Michael got control of the gun and killed Hellier in view of passing motorists, one of whom contacted the police. I'm sure a bunch of them contacted the police. 
But either way, the police were called. A high-speed chase ensued and <laughs> as the Carsons attempted to flee in Hellier's truck, which they then crashed, and they were both apprehended. At the same time all of that was going on, a UPS driver who witnessed the shooting pulled over to help John. According to the driver, John's last words were, help me, brother. Danny Hellier, John's brother, believes that John mistook the UPS driver for him. Danny told Arizona Central, quote, it gives me chills every time I think about it. I wish I could have been there to help him. It was a brutal murder. He didn't deserve to die. And that's true of all of their victims, but they didn't see it that way. In a five-hour interview with KGO-TV and the San Francisco Chronicle, as well as homicide investigators, the Carsons confessed to the murders of Karen Barnes, Clark Stevens, and John Hellier. They stated that they killed Barnes because they believed she had made a false conversion to their religion and was, quote, draining Miss Carson of her health and yogic powers. They then claimed that Stevens had allegedly sexually assaulted Susan and that Hellier had called her a witch and sexually abused her in the few minutes that he was that they were in his truck. They also claimed to have been pacifists and vegetarian yoga practitioners who converted to a new radical form of Islam. Again, that Susan made up. It's not a real section of Islam. It, Susan made it up. According to them, their crimes emerged from a shared mission to exterminate individuals they believed to be witches. Which is why the press named them the San Francisco Witch Killers. It's a good name. I like that. But I think it's important to stress that to exterminate individuals they believe to be witches, which means that anybody that Susan calls a witch, because Susan is running the show here. Anyway, it would seem that it's all cut and dry, right? They've confessed. Mm, but wait. Susan and Michael both withdrew their confessions just before the trial and entered pleas of not guilty. Despite their pleas, both Susan Bear Carson and Michael Bear Carson were convicted on June 12, 1984, for which they both received three sentences of 25 years to life for a total of 75 years to life each. Jen Carson, if you remember the little girl, she first found out about her father's crimes when she was in the third grade. A year later, she read newspaper stories about how the murders happened, and according to Jen, that's when her battle with the nightmare started. When Jen Carson was nine years old, the court proceedings started and lasted until she was 19 because of the appeals. Her father sent her friendly letters until she spoke out about her desire for him to stay in prison, and that's when the letters became scary. During this time, Jen said she lived in fear and made multiple suicide attempts. She still suffers from the trauma of this time. She petitioned against the couple receiving parole because she fully believes that they will kill again. In 2015, they both came up for parole. Susan was denied because she still showed no remorse for her crimes. She will not be eligible again until December 2030. Michael completely refused his parole hearing because he was determined to not give up his religious beliefs. In May of this year, he came up for parole again and was again denied. Well, he was denied. He would have been denied earlier in 2015, too, had he gone to the hearing. 
But anyway, this year he was denied. Michael will not be eligible for parole again until May 27th, 2030, although he can petition the board for an earlier hearing if he can present them with new facts or a change in sustainability. I don't think either of those things are going to happen since neither Michael or Susan have shown any remorse for any of their crimes. Jen, however, turned her trauma into productivity and earned a master's degree in counseling and now runs a suicide hotline. Although she believes that America's prison system should allow for more rehabilitation, as do we, neither Jen nor Danny, John Hellier's brother, believes that rehabilitation is possible for Michael or Susan Bear Carson. And yeah, I don't either. If you're not at this point, if you don't have any remorse for what you did, you're not gonna. Yeah, because if you don't know like what you did wrong, then how are you gonna do better? I, it reminds me of my students because. <laughs> Like whenever I make them sit at recess because they like put their hands on somebody or like threw a stick or something before they get up. I'm like, what did you do wrong? And what are you going to do better next time? And if they can't tell me, I'm like, sorry. Yeah. I mean, if they don't you know. You haven't been rehabilitated. Exactly. If they don't know, they can't change their behavior. Susan, exactly. I believe, is far beyond rehabilitation because the years of drug use have definitely added to her initial psychosis. Although some people do have psychic abilities. I don't know that Susan ever did. And if she did, the drugs definitely messed it up and she definitely has something mentally wrong with her. Michael, however, shouldn't. He shouldn't have anything as deeply wrong with him as Susan and should be able to be rehabilitated. But I, again, that depends on how strong of a hold Susan still has over him. So that's our case. Well, um, except for my power going out twice and all of that, I had a really fun time. <laughs> I liked that case. <laughs> Thanks. I was pretty, pretty spooky. So if you like this week's case, suggest more cases to us by emailing us at deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. If you make the drink this week or if you want to tune in for our fundraiser October 24th at 4 p.m., join us on Instagram at Dead Drunk Crime. You can find us over on Facebook at Dead Drunk, a true crime podcast or Dead Drunk Discussions if you want to talk to us. Yeah. We love to talk to you. Come talk crime. Come talk spooky stories with us. Just come talk to us. Yeah. Send us spooky stories. Comment on our spooky stories like our spooky stories what else <laughs> what else can you do on facebook <laughs> um you could check out message us about our spooky stories <laughs> yep you could also share pictures of your drinks that you're making or any drinks that you think that we should make and you can find the episodes written out in full with full sources listed on our website at deaddrunkpodcast.com and you can also find merch we have cool merchandise with logos designed by tierney and our general logo that you know or should know by now and, and there's a lot of cool stuff on there which you can find linked in the show notes or in the blog post on our website and I think yeah, that that's it's fun. all that we have to get through you can still send us scary stories we are you know what we'll accept scary stories all the time I don't care what season <laughs> it is I want it so send me spooky stories whenever you feel up to it at our Gmail address, deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. And now it's time to get into the chaser. And I found you this week the ultimate witch quiz.
Oh, wow. Okay. Love this. All right. Number one. What is the name of the witch in The Wizard of Oz? The 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 movie. The don't. Not like. So not Elphaba. No. <laughs> um, Like she had an actual name. No. Not like the Wicked Witch of the West. No, that's what it is. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> there are options too. I just wasn't going to give you one for that. That one I now realize was really confusing because of Gregory Maguire and Wicked. I was like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A manual on how to hunt witches was published in 1487. What was it called? The Dummy's Guide to Hunting Witches, Malleus Maleficarum, Witch Witch, or The Beginner's Guide to Witch Hunting? The last one. Okay. We'll find out what you got right at the end. Oh, okay, fun. What is the name of the religion based on witchcraft? <laughs> I'm going to read all the names too because they're all funny. Wicca, Woka, Wacka, Witchy. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) I thought it was Wiccan. Well, that's what a person. That's what a person is. The religion is. is, You're right. It's Wicca is the first one. That's what they call themselves. Okay. Okay. Number four. St. Joan of Arc was accused of being a witch. True or false? True. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. What is a group of witches called? <laughs> a squad, a gang, a cackle, or a coven? A coven, but I like cackle. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that one was really good. Oh, that sounded really scary, especially because you're in the dark. <laughs> My power's out. Guys, If I if I was not talking for a lot of this podcast it's because my power went out it was wonderful it was real spooky and it's still on out. end <laughs> oh yeah something really spooky happened it was the, the witches the witches where did the famous witch trials take place between 1692 and 1693 salem right yeah or is that a myth no that's, that's right <laughs> okay I never know. <laughs> the Indian term for witch is Dayan or Dayani from the Sanskrit word Dakini. What does it mean? A woman who owns a cauldron, a woman who owns a black cat, woman with supernatural powers, or a woman who travels by broomstick? Oh my God. I wish that it was a woman who owns a black cat because then I would be one. <laughs> um, I want to say travels by broomstick. Okay. Witches have always flown around on broomsticks. True or false? False. So my last one was probably (laughs) untrue. Double, double toil and trouble comes from which William Shakespeare play? Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want the options or do you know this one? No, it's, it's, um... Why am I getting them mixed up in my head? It's my favorite. <laughs> it's your favorite? Yeah. Does that help? It's your favorite. Is it the one you're not supposed to say? Well, in a theater setting, yeah. Macbeth? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, sweet. That's what I thought. And then I was like, or, or is it the Lion King? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> are there any witches in the Lion King? <laughs> so this is our last question. Jill Murphy wrote a series of books based on witches and based on the art on the cover. It's a children's book. What was the first one called? The Best Witch, 
the good witch, the worst witch, or the awful witch? The worst witch. All right, let's see. I think I had that book growing up. It says eight out of ten. You were right with the oh. worst witch. You got Macbeth. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You were right. Witches have not always flown around on broomsticks. Sweet. So, so then the other one was wrong. Yes. So Dakini in Sanskrit means woman with supernatural powers. Yeah, but I thought that was just too obvious. It is, but that's you know? why it's the answer. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> that just means it's the answer. <laughs> uh, the witch trials took place in Salem. It's a coven. True, Joan of Arc was considered a witch. She was burned at the stake. Wicca. The manual on how to hunt witches that came out in 1487 was called Malleus Maleficarum. Oh, I thought that was like trying to throw me off because it sounded the most witchy. I thought so too when I did this quiz the first time through. And then I thought, "Mm, I like it. So I'm going with it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so that was our quiz on witches. I'll try and come up with a harder quiz for our next witch episode which i'm planning for the week of halloween because i don't know if you know but i'm a witch so i'd like to i'd like to dive into the salem witch trials and that's what we're gonna do the week of halloween oh my gosh that's so fun yeah so join us and join us on saturday for another spooky shooter every saturday we're coming to you twice every week in october because october is the best month it's the best simply the best and on that note then all the rest best wishes warmest regards